Hello, Mentors Collective. If you're an entrepreneur like me and you're doing something that's not in the technology space, chances are you've thought about it before or you've tried. Everybody wants a technology company. Higher valuations, uh, high ROI on all of your marketing, you get recurring revenue. Technology is just awesome. It's the holy grail for entrepreneurs. All of the billionaire uh, billionaire moguls, it's usually through technology. But if you've tried technology or you're thinking about trying technology, you should know it's not for everyone. A lot of people fail. Uh, and on this episode, I'm going to be diving in with an expert in technology startups. We're going to be talking about how to go from zero to one journey for startup founders if, you want to, if you're interested in tech. So with that being said, I'm going to welcome my guest today, Adam Wilson. He is the founder of Polyform Studio. It's his third venture in the product studio space. He has sold and exited from one of his former companies. He leads a group of designers, developers, and technologists to bring innovative tech products to life for the biggest brands and hottest startups on the planet. So Adam, thank you for joining me in this conversation. I know a lot of entrepreneurs are going to be super interested in learning about tech. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Sure thing. Let's jump right in and let's have some fun. Let's give some value. Why is tech so attractive? Why are so many entrepreneurs biting at the teat of tech and trying to get in, trying to take their slice of the pie. Why is it so attractive? I mean, there's a lot of things. First of all, I think it's really sexy. You know, people are really sure excited. They love to say they've got a tech startup. They want to be part of the action and Silicon Valley and all these mm -hmm. tech hubs around the world. You know, there's so many great uh, start in the garage, go to a billion dollars kind of stories out there. So I think everybody... Uh, no matter where you are in your entrepreneurial journey, there's something there that is uh, a little higher than where you are now. So I think that part for sure, super exciting and, uh, you know, sexy for everybody. I think the other thing is that uh, at times it can feel really accessible, you know, like mm -hmm. there's always these kind of boom and bust opportunity cycles. You know, we just saw one go through with, Web3 and NFTs, now we're in one with AI and generative mm -hmm. stuff and, you know, um, what was it like uh, eight or nine years ago, you know, the iPhone came out and that was a big thing, right? So, or what am I talking about is like 15 years ago, but uh, there's always these cycles and it feels like uh, there's this gold rush opportunity and the right people can kind of get in there and, and make a bunch of money, make a bunch of impact in the world. You know, especially for uh, like younger entrepreneurs, I find the upcoming generation, you know, Gen Z, even like Gen Alpha, you know, talking to like 14 year olds, what do you want to do? And they want to have like an impact in the world. There's a lot of interest in having a positive impact in the world with those younger generations. So I think they yes. really feel like they can do that with tech. So I think for all those reasons, it's really attractive to everybody. Yeah, infinitely scalable. You get high valuations mm -hmm. on your tech companies more than any other company. So it's so super attractive, you know, for people who are successful in tech, it's a whole other level of success, which is why it's, it was so attractive to me. It's so attractive to so many entrepreneurs. And I love what you said about these waves of tech companies emerging. I feel like every day now I see a new AI company being built off the back of ChatGPT and these, these other products. Yeah. Are they all just going to be gold mines? I mean, is every company who's starting, you know, an AI spinoff going to be successful? Like what, what happens? What do you, what do you foresee happening? Yeah, I, I, it's a great 
example of one of these cycles, what's going on with AI right now. And uh, I feel the same about blockchain as well, that yeah. these are uh, infrastructure to future technology that is emerging. And for the first time, there's a consumer accessible interaction point to the technology. So ChatGPT yes. is the first time ever. Like my mom can go to a website, type something in and have AI produce a result. It's not to say it's the first AI tool, but it's the first time consumers can easily interact with this new technology. And it was kind yes. of the same with NFTs and blockchain, right? Like before that, the only blockchain thing you could do really was buy crypto. Um, then you could buy NFTs and you could use NFTs to unlock something crazy or whatever, be part of the community. Um, but these are all really just like tech demos. It's just like a demo of what the technology can do. It's not necessarily like a product, right? Like chat right. GPT as great as it is. Um, no matter what you do with it, you need to like copy the output and paste it into something else, format it. You know, it's not going to build a, a blog post for you. You still need to make images. You still need to style it. You still need to do all these things. So it really isn't like the finished product yet. And, and that's kind of the same way I feel about a lot of these AI products and companies that are spinning out of this new technology is that like, uh, they're great tech demos. It's some great novelty. Uh, but ultimately a lot of this tech is just going to get integrated into tools we already use. And yeah. those tools will continue to win. Uh, I saw like Adobe just announced, uh, last week, this, I think it's called Firefly. So their new like AI integration for Photoshop. And it basically gives you all the same kind of tools as mid journey or Dolly or any of these right. generative, um, you know, image tools, but integrated into all the editing capabilities of Photoshop. So nobody's going to use mid journey anymore. If I can just use Photoshop that I've always been using for photo editing, and it just has the power of mid journey. Now I'll just stick with Photoshop. So I think right. that's where they put it in Canva new AI. Yeah, exactly. Right. So we're just going to use Canva. We're not going to use this new, um, you know, this new startup tool that just came out that lets you make like AI headshots or something, right? I'll, I'll just right. do that in Photoshop two months from now. So I think that is, you know, anytime there's a new technology cycle that comes out, there's kind of a window at, at the start of the cycle. And that window is getting smaller and smaller as these cycles get faster. But there's this like novelty window where people are willing to pay for um, like low impact product. So novelty mm -hmm. entertainment, right? Like AI headshots, get AI pictures of your dog, right? Upload 20 pictures, get a bunch of funny pictures out for- That's what kicked it all off, right? Lenza.ai, crazy. Exactly, right? But like yeah. six months from now, there's no way anybody's gonna pay 20 bucks for a bunch of Lenza profile pictures, right? Because it'll just be integrated into everything. So there's always these yeah. like windows of opportunity for these kind of companies to come up with like a novel, low technical overhead company, make a bunch of money really quickly. Um, and then if they're smart, they'll either pivot somewhere else or, or, or they'll just shut it down and fold the money and put it into something else. So it's interesting that you mention these novel companies and the, the initial attraction being like novelty, but they may not survive. So I'm thinking 
what should a tech founder or an entrepreneur be thinking about when generating idea for a technology or for a software? What are those questions they need to ask themselves before they go and invest a lifetime into, into building this idea? Yeah. And that's a great way to phrase it too, is you are investing a lifetime, you know, even if um, you really ride the wild ride of Silicon Valley and make a great company and sell it quickly, you know, that's still six to eight years, probably minimum. Um, so it really is an investment of your time. And at Polyform, we work with dozens of first time founders and early stage startups every year helping them go from zero to one. And the ones that really win are the ones that A, are solving a problem, like a real problem that's painful for people or preferably whole industries. And it's painful to the point that they're willing to pay for a solution. And um, how you can tell if it's painful enough that they're willing to pay for it is there'll be like latent demand in the market, right? You'll come out with this solution and right away people will start buying it if they're your customers because they've been waiting for it. They need it, right? It, it's not a nice to have, it's a must have, or it's uh, solving a problem that is cause, costing them money. And it's like a no brainer that this thing's gonna provide more value than it costs. Um, so that's the first thing is make sure you're solving a real problem. Um, the second thing is make sure, I mean, it kind of ties into the first one, but make sure there's an actual market, right? There's a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of hype about, er, you know, first mover advantage and being the first market and stuff. And that's right. just totally untrue. Um, the people, you, you know, the uh, people who wrote the paper on first mover advantage actually years later came back and said, actually, that's totally not true. It's, it's a disadvantage to be the first one in market because you have to educate people on this product or solution and then also sell it to them. <laughs> So it's like right. doing twice the work. Um, so make sure there's actually a market for the thing that you're trying to sell and that the numbers work out and don't have this kind of field of dreams. Like if I build it, people will come attitude. Make sure that, uh, you know, the, the numbers work out. Be super, super focused on the numbers. Um, so a lot of entrepreneurs, thing, I think, do that. They get obsessed with their idea and they think it's going to work and they're so obsessed with it that, no one's going to tell them that it's yeah. not going to work. So before we move on to the third thing, what advice do you have for testing sure. the market to see if something will actually work? Yeah, this is this is something we do a lot of. Uh, customer validation, user validation, super, super important. Um, it has never been easier or cheaper to get market validation. And there's a number mm. of ways to do it. What I recommend uh, specifically for startups that are like building a product for the first time is to um, you know create a little bit of a brand around your idea. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything special, just like a landing page, logo, a couple other pieces of, of assets, you know, get out there on social, start collecting customers into something like a Discord group or something like this. Start building a community around this concept that you have and about this solution that you're proposing and, and talk to your real customers, you know? If you're making something for pet owners, it's a new type of like, you know, uh, interactive dog collar or something crazy. Like make sure you're talking to hundreds of dog owners and people who will, you know, exactly benefit from this thing that you're building. 
uh, get them together, get them talking with one another, get them uh, talking with you, do little focus groups, stuff like this. Um, you know, back in the day, if you were building a new product, it was all about building like big expensive focus groups and really like A-B testing stuff to death before it even existed. And uh, I think today it's all about community and startups, even if they're all about the technology, at the end of the day, they have to be somewhat a lifestyle brand if they wanna sell to consumers. Because uh, there's a lot of noise out there, and nothing else. A lot of noise through it, but being, yeah, you got to be a brand. You got to align with the values of your customers. You got to talk with them. You got to bring them together into a community so you can learn from them. Uh, we call it just like collab. You know, we we have kind of a yeah. whole framework we take startups through, and it's all about co-creating with your customers instead of like trying to polish it until it's perfect and then present it to the world. You know. That's a great idea. And a lot of e-commerce companies do that with like Kickstarter. They'll launch something that's not in production mm -hmm. yet. They'll get a whole bunch of people who are interested in the concept on board and they build a community out of those people. But software companies don't have anything like that that I know of. So they guess they have to go and build it themselves. Is there anything like it that, that you've heard of for software companies that's Kickstarter-like? Well... There's no, a technology not, not right there. People can people can go yeah. build. There's a product. Go, someone go build billion that. dollars idea. Yeah, get on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of uh, games and stuff on Kickstarter. Yeah. You know, video games and whatnot. But yeah, I, I have not heard of something for startups that's like Kickstarter. Super interesting. Okay, uh, enough with that. What is the third piece of advice that you were going to go into before I so rudely interrupted you? Oh, right. Third piece of advice. So the first one was uh, make sure that you're solving a problem. Second one was yes. make sure that there's a market. And the third one was make sure, um, and it actually really ties into the community thing, Ma make sure that um, you have some kind of insider information that is going to allow you to solve this problem better than your competition. And that could be um, you're making something for warehouses and you worked in a warehouse for six years during university or something, you know, it could right. be you're building something for whatever niche and your family's owned a business in that niche for three generations. You know, there needs to be something beyond just Googling what are the pain points of this industry that will create some type of IP moat around the thing that you're trying to build, right? Because uh, right. otherwise, uh, it's going to be really hard for you to, A, truly know the ins and outs of the industry you're trying to serve, and B, it's going to be really hard to build anything that's defensible, that somebody can't just copy right away, or somebody with deeper industry knowledge can't come and do a better version of right away. Uh, so it's really all about just knowing your industry or hiring people who do or creating these communities, people that are in the industry that you're trying to serve and picking their brains. That's really good advice and probably useful for more than the reason that you're just going to create a better product. I feel like if you create a software or a technology within an industry that you know a lot about, you also know where the pain points and problems there are. So you solve for number two. Mm. Now for tech founders, entrepreneurs who are going into software, do you think it's better, higher chances of success to go super niche, to pick 
a specific industry and a specific micro problem and build a technology around that or go broader? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, it depends if you're building B2B software or B2C software. Uh, if you're building software for consumers, um, you know, there's a few different plays there. If you're trying to do like a platform thing, TikTok, yeah. Amazon, whatever, going broad. You got to go broad. You can't start broad. You have to start with a niche. That's mm -hmm. where your first users will come in. That Those will be your early adopters. And, you, you know, um, there is an essay called 1,000 True Fans. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's great listeners essay. should Google it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, your first 1,000 fans will come from a niche, no matter what. And mm -hmm. then from there, if you're building a consumer product that's some type of two-sided marketplace or similar, you have to go broad. Um, but if it's a B2B piece of software, uh, depending on what industry you're serving, there can be tons of money for a small agile startup to be made uh, solving one niche problem that's uh, very expensive for the industry that you're serving. Uh, and there's lots of unsexy, but very, high value industries out there that are underserved by tech um things like mining you know it's like unsexy industry super old school but uh you take a bit of like off the shelf technology and you can solve million dollar problems for these people billion dollar problems even it's true i think the unsexier the better sometimes you mentioned warehousing if you can like fix the supply Absolutely. chain issue for warehousing or some kind of their hr recruiting specifically for that industry probably got a gold mine. Uh, very, very cool. Sure. Let's dive into some of the ins and outs of starting a technology company. Does it require a bunch of upfront funding? What kind of teams you need to put together to put your vision into, into motion? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, the average tech startup uh, has two founders, usually one business person, one tech person. So somebody with a computer science background, something of this nature, maybe they're a programmer, whatever. Um, it's really important, I think, to have those two people in the mix right off the bat. Uh, even if they're, you know, like both tech people, but one's a little bit more business inclined, could be two business people and one's a little bit more tech inclined. Um, it's really important to try and find a co-founder right off the bat. Yeah. If you've got a great idea, you want to bring it to life. You can't do it alone. You're going to need a big team. Get that co-founder right away who, uh, um, who, who, who like complements your skill set. Right. Um, having two of the exact same person running a company is already a recipe for disaster because you're just going to agree with one another on everything. Um, so, you know, get the company started if you can. Try and make uh, a demo or an MVP as soon as possible. There's so many low code or no code options out there. Things like Bubble, WordPress, even depending on what your, uh, uh, or I said WordPress, I meant to say Webflow, but uh, depending on what your product is, there's lots of quick and dirty ways to get something in somebody's hands to get a little bit of market validation. Um, if you look historically at Silicon Valley and just the, lifetime of amazing startups that have come out of California and out of North America, especially over the last uh, couple of decades, there's very few success stories 
where they took no outside capital, right? MailChimp's one of the famous ones. There's a handful of others, but if you add them all up, it's probably less than 1% of successful startups don't take venture capital or some type of outside wow. investment. So you should assume that that's going to be part of your journey right from the start. Yeah. And that bootstrapping is a noble pursuit, but it's not the road to success as proven by thousands of startups now. So yeah. just embrace that that's going to be part of it. And, um, you know, having a co-founder that's somehow connected in that world is ultra beneficial because that will be somebody's full-time job for extended periods of time at, you know, several intervals in your life cycle as a startup. So it's important to have somebody who is either connected in that world or is interested in building connections in that world is a social person. Having a right. great you're going to have to raise money. Uh, it, it's yeah, it's crazy because I'm like talking about starting a tech startup, but we're not even talking about building tech. <laughs> you know, I'm just talking about networking. Uh, but it's yeah. so important because even finding the right staff, you know, you're, you're going to have to compile a really great team if you want to bring something to life that's innovative and interesting and, um, you know, attractive to people. So you need to be able to attract that right talent. And the talent market in tech is always super hot, always super expensive. So right. it's important to have somebody on the team who's great at networking to raise money and then to spend it in hiring the right people. Um, How much money and, uh, do you need to raise on an average or in a range for a successful tech company. And I don't know if there's a statistic from successful tech companies and how much they raised in that first round just to get things off the ground. But what is the number? What is a number that people can think about? A number? Um, uh, I'm sure there's a huge I, I, range. I don't think there, there's a huge range, but I'll put it this way. Um, if you're not familiar with raising startup camp capital you should definitely read the book venture deals right off the bat that's kind of the bible for raising startup capital but um you know how raising funds for a startup works is that every round you dilute how much of the company that you own and mm -hmm. if you take a very small amount of money up front it's going to be the for the same amount of equity that you have to dish out in that initial raise the amount of equity each fundraising round uh, distributes is kind of fixed. So if you take a low amount of money on those first couple of raises, later on, when you need to raise a large amount of money, you won't have very much equity left in the company. And uh, investors don't like that because they're worried right. that the founders won't be committed if they only owe, own 2% of the company or something. So my advice is to raise as much capital as humanly possible right off the bat. Millions of dollars for sure. Because it's all about runway. Um, yeah. If you're somehow going to be profitable super quickly, then you can raise less initially and kind of coast off that profitability for a while. Um, but uh, it, you, you also can lock yourself into a certain valuation by taking a certain amount of money early on that may come back to bite you later too. So I advise people to uh, just pitch their little hearts out for like a year and, uh, you know, talk to like a hundred VCs or more, or usually way more 
and uh, try and raise as much capital as humanly possible. And you'll get a lot of really, really good feedback from these people as to why or why not you're worth that much money. And that at that early stage can also be direction for how you need to change how you're building the company. Because those folks really know their shit. You know, their, their whole job is just investing in startups. So they'll, right. they'll shoot straight. One thing I've always been a little perplexed by is you've raised, say, $5 million for your tech startup. Where does this money go before you're profitable? I feel like they just make money disappear like a magic trick. Where should you be thinking about allocating it? What's what's the cost? What's the expense? Yeah, people are crazy with that money. They get that, that startup money and they think, oh, $5 million, we're going to get a Lambo. I still have four right. left over, you know? <laughs> um you got to be so ultra conservative with with how you spend the money. So many startups aren't, but all of that money should go to salaries, just straight up to people, to brains, bringing this thing to life. Um, and, you know, marketing folk and stuff like that help you promote right. it. Uh, all the various brands you need to, to make it great. But uh, it should all be going into runway. Just how long can I keep these people working and keep this product uh, growing and getting better before we run out of money or need to become profitable in a hurry? Um, so that's what I would recommend. A lot of people, you know, they go get a big office, they fill it with, you know, Eames chairs and other beautiful things. And, you know, then they wonder where all the money's gone. So keep it, right. keep it super, super lean. Just pay for smart people. Because they can be expensive, right? And I feel like when you get that five million dollars check, smart people. Yeah, it's tough to be yeah, conservative. I, I would try and give those. Like, it's not my money. Let's spend this thing. <laughs> well, exactly, right? It's like you're on top of the world, and also mm-hmm. you can really feel like you've got a lot of momentum because you've been working your ass off to get that five million dollars, and then mm-hmm. you get the check signed. You got the money in the bank. You're like, we can conquer the world. You know, they're so excited, but you haven't even begun yet. That's just the money to start, you know? So that's once you've closed your first round and you've got the money in your hand, that's kind of when the game really begins. Uh, if you can't raise um, any capital on your initial idea, your initial idea is probably not very good. So you should maybe hit the go back to the drawing board, you know? Um, so that's, yeah, I would recommend spending it all on people. That's a good point. Now tell me, and I don't know if you have a statistic or a data point on this, but what percentage of new tech startups are successful? And I know for like typical business owners, there's like a 90% failure rate and at five years, 50% in one year, is there a specific data point or at least what you've noticed personally with tech startups? Yeah, the uh, the kind of like industry norm is to say that less than 1% will make it through their first year. Wow. So it's low. <laughs> it's pretty low. Um, I, I discouragingly think that's, low. You know, I, discouragingly low. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with people's, you know, it costs a lot of money generally to start a tech startup and those that can't raise run out of money quickly. And, uh, 
that will kill them in the first year. Um, what about funded so tech that's, startups? I think funded tech startups, I, I think it's pretty close to the same, to be honest. Um, it's, uh, it's a grind. It's a grind. It's incredibly hard. It's fast moving. It's uh, always changing. There's always crazy, you know, competition will come out of nowhere. Chat GPT will come out and just co- totally destroy your business model overnight. Uh, it's notoriously uh, cutthroat and just very difficult, um, which is also why I recommend people going into like less sexy industries. Don't make another dating app, you know, keep it uh, on the fringes because there'll be these high growth, high excitement areas of new technology like AI right now where um, it, it will be even if you have funding, even if you have early traction, it will be very, very difficult to sustain that in the long run. It's a good point. Now, if this first part of the interview didn't scare everybody off of starting a tech company, <laughs> uh, let's steel man and reverse kind of the argument here. Let's talk to about why people should start a tech company. Uh, despite all of the adversity, why would you tell somebody that they should go after it, they should do it, they should start that idea, they should get funding, take the money. What are the upsides? Uh, the upsides are limitless. You know, it's you know, it's really your opportunity to have an impact on the world. And it sounds cheesy, but there's very few other avenues where you can invest your career into something, and at the end of it, say you know, there was a measurable difference to society and industry, the way people do this or that, because I was here, you know, you think about somebody who, uh, you know, Jack started Twitter or whoever started Tinder or whoever started whatever, you know, it's like these products come out and they change the fabric of how people interact with the world in meaningful sometimes positive, sometimes negative ways. But uh, it's really difficult to do that with a brick and mortar store or a services company or, you know, basically any other model of business. And it comes down to the scalability. The scale is just incredible. And the scale also is a scale of possible earnings and money you can make. Of course, that's a great reason to do it and super exciting as well. And, uh, you know, I think that the other thing is that, you know, all these statistics are scary and, you know, it's it's fiercely competitive and all this stuff. But um, there's lots of room in the world for small tech companies. You know, you don't need to be a unicorn, multi-billion dollar tech company to have made it. You You can just build a great little company that does some little niche thing really well. And uh, it, you know, provides some great value for whoever it is. Um, great example, a good friend of mine, uh, his name's Elliot Taylor, has a company called Throughline. Uh, and what they do is they aggregate uh, all of the suicide hotlines in the world into mm. one entry point. So uh, you can call one number, you can go to one website, and using AI, it'll pair you with the exact right service or resource for you across a whole world of suicide prevention products and and resources 
and it'll uh, put you in touch with the exact right person for your needs at that moment. You know, wow. uh, not a multi-million dollar company to build or make, you know, not a sexy industry, but he's literally saving lives every day. And, uh, you know, that's a great thing to uh, invest your life into, right? Yeah. Talk about impact too. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Even if it generates, you know, revenue from display ads on their website, you're impacting so many people. Uh, and it's, I guess, about mm-hmm. finding those little holes in the market, connecting two dots that people didn't think to connect before uh, and getting your place right. on the internet and on people's phones and in their devices so that someone says it's a good idea and develops a, a product a couple years down the line. Maybe the first mover advantage does make a difference, uh, at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, what yeah. types of people do you think should be thinking about starting a tech company and what types of people do you think it's a bad idea for? And before you answer, I just want to mention a, a kind of a quote from Alex Hermosi, maybe not a quote, but a story that he told. He, he had tried to start a tech company. He'd been in the service industry for his entire life, uh, running coaching, consulting, uh, digital marketing agencies, but saw the flashiness of tech, went to start a tech company, mm-hmm. failed immediately and realized uh, you know, I spent my whole life doing service. I would, I don't know what ego drove me to go try and do something else that I had no experience in. Uh, but there's people that I guess, spend their whole lives in technology. They're developers or they grew up in San Francisco or they know a lot of people in that business. Uh, and you're competing against these guys. Uh, so I, my question to you is for those that are interested in tech, but maybe have spent their entire business career doing something else. Have you seen success stories for those people? Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, we work with a ton of folks who I would put in the bucket of like industry outsiders. They aren't Mm -hmm. from Silicon Valley. They aren't from tech. They aren't from this or that. And, uh, they can still enter the arena and, and be successful for sure. And I think, you know, there, there's a few types of people who are great at that. Um, mm-hmm. Usually it's very flexible people, people who have maybe an unconventional career path, but a career path that is continually um, on the upward trajectory. You know, people who are maybe a little A-type personality, they love to win, they love to learn, they love to improve and get better. Um, these types of people are great. Uh, you know, anybody who has been behind the scenes at a tech company and has some semblance of how one works, uh, mm-hmm. I think are, are well positioned to start their own, especially if you've ever worked at a smaller tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend anybody who's interested in founding their own tech company startup someday to go work at a small startup. If you, if you can't get employed, at a small startup, chances are you have no business starting one. <laughs> you yes. know, uh, you probably don't have the skills to start one if you can't get hired at one. So um, go work at a small startup for a little while, see behind the scenes how it works, see what's functional, see what's not functional, take from it whatever you can, um, or work at a uh, in agency or studio model place like Polyform where we're working with dozens of startups a year to get their thing off the ground. And we have a very specific process about how to get from A to Z, you know, that process has yielded 
incredible results for 100 plus startups. So learning that process, we've seen a bunch of people go from Polyform, start their own thing, use the same process to get the product off the ground and uh, have success. Because if you come at it with like a blank slate, you have no idea how to start a startup at all or any of the inner workings or how any of it works, um, then you're like learning on the job, right? It's right. like trying to start a restaurant. And if you've never cooked or ran a restaurant or worked at a restaurant, you have no idea, right? So why would you do that? And uh, I see a lot of early founders do that, where they just are like, I'm going to start a, a startup. And they have no idea of any of the inner workings of one. And it's a business just like any others. You know, it, it has... Um, it has, you know, foundational things that are common between all startups in terms of operations and growth and strategy. And uh, if you're, if you don't know any of those things, and on top of that, are also trying to start a business, you're kind of yeah. shooting yourself in the foot. So, yeah, uh, I would Just say like anything people... else, I guess with uh, without mentorship, guidance, experience, there's a lot of mistakes that you're likely to make along the way, and a lot of mistakes that you can avoid. Uh, being part of an accelerator or something like Polyform uh, mm. that can help you avoid those mistakes and fast track yourself. Uh, so Adam, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about uh, that process for entrepreneurs and startup founders. Uh, you know, you, you hear about these tech accelerators, uh, Polyform. Mm -hmm. What are the benefits of working with a, a company like Polyform in your startup idea? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, what we do at Polyform is we really frame our services as designer co-founder as a service. So generally who we work with are either big enterprise, you know, big brands like uh, Nike, Amazon, Disney, these kind of folks who want to bring a new consumer product to market that's outside mm -hmm. of a tech vertical that they usually work in. So they're not going to bring us in to do something they already do. They bring us in to do something that they don't. Um, cool. And then on the startup side, we work with all types of startups, basically every type of industry or vertical to go from zero to one and from one to a category leading B2. And the benefit there is that if you are a first time founder, especially, you don't know the process of going from zero to one and you've maybe read about it, but experiencing it is a totally different thing. So to leverage our expertise having launched more than 100 startups is incredibly valuable. So we're really great at um, filling the gaps that the founding team has in product and development and launch and scaling even and uh, helping them find people to fill the other gaps as well. So it's really just an accelerant to, to your success and uh, accelerators also hugely valuable. Um, of course, the education thing is, is great. You know, you could go to Y Combinator Startup School online and get a lot of that education for free. Um, but it's all about the networking. The networking is the real value at the accelerators. And that's why going to the biggest, most popular one you can get into and like mm -hmm. living in a shoebox for four months or whatever, if you have to. Uh, down in the Valley or LA or whatever, while you're in Techstars or Y Combinator or whatever you can get into, it's so worth it because you will leave with a network of founders that were in the class with you, which right there is hugely valuable, but especially the network of investors and venture capitalists. 
and uh, and there's a aspect of like social proofing there uh, in both mm -hmm. cases, really. If you go to Techstars, an investor, a potential hire, anybody will look at you and say, oh, they were good enough to get into Techstars. That's reputable. That's respectable. They must know what they're doing to some degree. Um, and similarly, working with Polyform, when you look at our roster of startups or brands that we work with, um, you could expect that you would get the same quality output there and they can kind of leverage some of that social proofing from us. Oh, very cool. That's helpful. So you differ from, differ from the accelerator programs in which ways? I guess, is it mostly the networking aspect? Well, we're, um, I mean, we're a services company, so we'll, we'll teach you how to do it and do it for you, mm -hmm. where the accelerators really just teach you how to do it and connect you to money. So gotcha. um, we usually are meeting with people post um post seed round for sure usually like post accelerator where mm -hmm. they've got a little bit of traction they've got a little bit of money they're ready to take it to the next level and maybe they've never done that before you know their experience ends at where their product is now and right. uh, our service is to come in and take that product to the next level that's going to meet consumer expectations especially and especially with younger markets like we specialize in building products for Gen Z and they are just like so incredibly intelligent that yeah. anything beyond anything below perfection is just not going to cut it with them. It has to be just so, so good. Um, and, uh, and we'll, you know, take the founders to that next level, teach them a process along the way that then they can employ with their staff to take it to, you know, the next level and beyond that. And uh, teach, you know, the processes is what it's all about, because like any piece of software, you don't just build it once and then sell it. You're building it continually forever. So if your process right. for building and deploying that product is not awesome over time, it will probably erode your productivity and effectiveness instead of enhance it. So we teach and implement the great processes and then also build products for startups. Right. Being able to copy and paste roadmaps for companies based on what you know from experience has been successful. Just a recipe for success. You know, there's a lot of similar stuff in the agency world where I come from, where you work with somebody, you've mm -hmm. seen what a successful agency looks like. There's a lot of parts that you can copy and paste, but it's never just a copy and paste. There's so many nuances, so many intricate little pieces to, to get it to work. I can see how that would be super mm. effective and, and speeding up the success there. Uh, some final mm. questions here, Adam, if that's okay. A little rapid fire stuff. Uh, what are three yeah. tips, three tips that you think are critical for success for people starting a tech tech company? Mm. Yeah. Know the industry and your customer like mm -hmm. crazy and actually interact with them. Know the technology that you're building on and where it's going so that you can always be, you know, at, at Polyform, we use this analogy, we say riding the crest of the wave. Because when you look out and watch people surfing, there's like the one person dropped in on the wave, the wave's pushing them forward. And then there's like 60 people behind all paddling to keep up, right? Trying to catch the wave again. You wanna be on the wave of whatever technology you're using, getting pushed forward by it, instead of always struggling, or struggling to stay relevant. Um, and then the third tip would be um, 
to keep it simple and to not get too excited about anything new or new features or building out this crazy platform, um, build slow, build methodically, build conservatively. Those would be my three tips. Sorry, I was just typing there. I just got back from a surf trip in Panama. It was a mastermind. Oh. And I have a list of analogies or metaphors from surfing that applies to business and entrepreneurship. We actually went in a circle and gave uh, the different metaphors that we could kind of come up with and how they compare to entrepreneurship. And that was not one of them. So I just wrote that one down. That's a great one. Wow. Thank you. I I don't know if I made it up, but we have it like printed on the wall at the office because it's... Oh, thanks for sharing. I hope you don't mind me uh, borrowing that one (laughs) with, with the group. Please do. Please do spread All right. good You word. mentioned one of the books that was important for tech founders to read, which is Venture Deals. Uh, I'm curious right. for two more books that you think would be transformative for tech entrepreneurs to read that will help them in their journey. Mm-hmm. Yes, great one. Um, I would so Venture Deals for sure. Um, this other one called Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Um, it's just about going from zero to one creating a new industry, creating a monopolized industry. Um, and then the third one, oh, uh, you know what? I, I really like all of Seth Godin's stuff. This is kind of, mm. you know, it's marketing, right? It's marketing yep. and brand related. It's not necessarily for startups, but uh, if you're building a consumer startup in today's uh, climate and atmosphere of, of tech, it, it is a lifestyle brand. It's a consumer yeah. lifestyle brand. Nobody gives a shit about the tech. They just want to be a part of something and to have something you know, solve a problem for them or for them to be part of something. And uh, that's old, you know, that's marketing 101. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, look at ClickFunnels. Software is mediocre, Absolutely. but the community that they've built around it is incredible. And it's what keeps people using it. So it's a Boss. I love that guy. He is a wizard. I, th- I think he's the greatest marketer of all time. Yeah. He's just so insane in the, the, the things that he does for attention. Uh, Adam, Absolutely. thank you so much for answering those rapid fire questions. Where can people reach you personally? Uh, what kind of companies are you looking to take on board for Polyform? Like who would be a good fit? Yeah, well, um, I'm super active on LinkedIn. You can hit me there. Adam Kyle Wilson. Uh, Adam Wilson's a super popular name. So Throw Kyle yeah, in there. Um, you can find me at the same at on Twitter, uh, or you can check us out at polyform.co. Um, the, you know, great partners for us are, I mean, I love talking to anybody about their startup and, and what they're planning to do, what they are doing. Um, so always happy to start, you know, chat with any startup entrepreneur who's trying to get something off the ground. But the companies that we work with, uh, the best are um, early stage, you know, post seed, a little bit of traction startups who probably have a dev team and a couple of founders, but don't yet have the product and design side of things figured out. There can be a lot of stress there because if you're not a designer, how do you evaluate a designer to hire one? And these people have massive influence over the trajectory of your product. So it can be very stressful to try and make that right higher. So um, if you're looking to 
build out your product department or build out your design department, need some type of product or design advice or mentorship or guidance, those are our people. And uh, as for, you know, tech stacks and industries, we work across them all, but we really do specialize in uh, AR, VR, you know, next gen mobile. We do a lot in the AI space. We do a lot in the blockchain space. We're all about emerging consumer tech. And like I said before, we specialize in Gen Z. So we're always building stuff for younger audiences, which is super fun and uh, quite niche. Hard to find people who specialize in that younger audience. Cool. Well, thank you, Adam. I'm going to drop your contact info on your website in the show notes here. So for anyone curious to get in touch, you won't have to look too far. Uh, and Adam, this has been a blast. Cheers. I learned a lot. I am going to probably bother you at some points in the next several years with some tech ideas that that come up because we've all got them. Uh, and it is something I'd, I'd be interested in doing like every other entrepreneur. So thank you for being uh, a guest uh, here with me. Thanks for giving some value. And thanks for being a mentor for us. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, I look forward to jamming on your startup ideas in the future. Do it.